on a normal day, you should not even try against City. You know, play a normal game against them and hope that you get something for it. You have to play to your limits and further. And how we defended the box, and especially the six-yard box, was absolutely exceptional. Uh, because I think we all know these games, when you all know the City goals, when they arrive there and then Bab square pass and one is in free in front of the goal. And we did it really well. So it was a, a top performance from all the boys, and um, that's why we could win it. Win it indeed, they did. Huge result for Liverpool there. What a remarkable week of turnaround from crisis club to classic club. I have to maybe try and come up with that phrase anyway. Uh, Duncan Alexander, Ollie Hopkins and Matt Furness joining me on the day-to-day live. Thank you everybody watching on YouTube, Twitch and our Twitter account. And for those of you listening on our podcast afterwards as well, welcome along. We're going to try and break down what was a... I think, can we call it already a classic Premier League game that's going to live long in the memory, this one? Yeah, I'd say so. It had the um, had the feel of a kind of Man United Arsenal one from the peak Ferguson Wenger era, where the teams knew each other well. One of them was, you know, not in good form, but the the sheer um, size of the of the occasion brought, you know, the super, hats off to the supercomputer. It couldn't split them last week, and it was very much along those lines. You know, you wouldn't have thought one of these teams had cruised through the season unbeaten in the league, and, and one hadn't. Um, yeah, and an instant classic. The first half was quite poor. Uh, so to so be a classic, you need you need to have both halves. Well, I think the first half it was like it set up the second half, didn't it? It was it was two teams, you Pence, know, City yeah, set up Pence. in a different in a different way, and Liverpool had as well. Liverpool were defending deeper than they have for years. It was almost like a Rafa Benitez sort of team set up. So I think, but the first half was the two teams kind of sizing each other up. Obviously, Haaland had a couple of of opportunities. Um, but then, yeah, fair enough. The second half was was better, but I think you wouldn't have had that second half without the uh, the first half, and obviously the you know the the referee's decision to to play a fairly uh, loose uh, game in terms of play on again set up what I think was a was a great second half. I think that although there weren't very many chances in the first half, I mean the the game itself was still I mean, utterly enthralling. I think just the quality on display mm. all over the pitch was just. The next level, really, you know, players being pressed and harried, but still managing to kind of like you know control the ball under extreme duress. Um, so fast as well, the pace was absolutely relentless. Mm. Um, so hats off to the referee for that one as well. Um, you know that the game just kind of flew by, um, and uh, yeah, I mean obviously the second half you get the goals and the VAR and the, the incidents, but the first half was still a very yeah very enthralling nil nil. But that momentum graphic shows quite well the the way that Liverpool countered uh, City's high possession in that attacking half. And that's that's the best way, well, that's the best form of Liverpool, isn't it? This Klopp side, we look like they're brilliant to watch when they're, they're almost counter-attacking teams that like to camp in their half, etc. So the, like the Salah goal was perfect mm. uh, example well, of that. I, yeah, and I mean, it was another Alisson assist. It was very similar to the one he uh, he got against Manchester United when he put put Salah through. I mean, I pointed out on Twitter yesterday that uh, Alisson's now got um, three assists, assists in three of the last four seasons and a goal in the other one. He's got the same attacking output in the last four seasons as Donny van der Beek, which um, is pretty good for a goalie. My dog doesn't rate uh, Alisson, so you know, not everyone does, but he's better at football than you, mate. Those three assists are all for Salah? So he, you know, he is um, 
he is the keeper with the most assists for one player. Um, I think actually it could be in Premier League history, actually. Um, but yeah, all, all three of those have gone gone for, for Salah. So um, there's a definite connection between the two of them there for back to front. Um, and yeah, another example of the weekend. He's still no Paul Robinson, though. Um, not the neighbours slash Lassitus bad man. <laughs> Bigwig. Um, but yeah, the, the chunky carved goalkeeper, Paul Robinson, who has five assists in the Premier League and a goal. And a goal, and yeah. and he won a penalty once, which is even more impressive for a goalkeeper. So yeah. he is the ultimate attacking goalkeeper. Mm. If you're making up a, 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 a the best goalkeeper of Premier League <laughs> history, his attacking instincts would probably uh, be what we'd maybe those yeah. chunky calves would go into making up the uh, the statue of that. Well, um, that was how me... he scored his goal against Watford. The chunky calves, he could boot it from his own box over Ben Foster's head. <laughs> Not that it's live long in your memory, that one there. Uh, Let's have a little listen to Pep Guardiola, who spoke after the game. Um, Obviously, many things he could have had a a rampage and a rage about, and we maybe will get into some of that in a little while. But just just wanted to get his thoughts on on how his team played and, more importantly, how they didn't deal with the threat of the Liverpool side. We lost by a mistake, so we didn't fall the transition that we know every time Alisson played quick and Kevin didn't follow and Joao lose the duel. Obviously, it's difficult against Salah because you use perfectly the body. It was so good. And after that, the transition for Liverpool always is his key point. And this is the that what we have to learn for the future, for our tight games. Like always have been against Liverpool in Champions League games, always have been. But the way we played, the performance we came here, with the make a build-up and with the courage we played was, was fantastic. Like literally, it happened here. Yeah, I had the misfortune of watching the game with a Manchester City fan last night and throughout most of it he was complaining at any point this Liverpool team are just going to break on us and and it's going to go to pieces. I know there's been a little bit of um, conversation, dare we say, on social media um, over last night into today about how City set up for this game to try and counteract the Liverpool threat and uh, I know that uh, Messrs Neville and Carragher, I'm sure Monday Night Football, if there was one, would be great for this tonight. Um, but sort of just looking at City's average position, were they playing five at the back where they playing with these wing backs we pulled up our average position position graph from the game just to see uh, how this was and yeah i think i don't quite agree with Carragher with what sorry neville was saying it Cancelo really did push on i, I think that it really did blunt kevin de bruyne last night i think that was back to back i mean obviously pep was saying he wasn't at his best last week he was even more off this week against liverpool and whether that was robinson doing his sorry robertson doing his threat and, and breaking him down or whether that was, he didn't have that additional outlet that he needed. And But you look at the average positions, mm. it shouldn't have been a problem for KDB. No, I mean, he did still put in a really good cross for Haaland in the first half, which, you know, if, if Haaland had headed it in, then everyone would be drooling over that assist. But, but yeah, I mean, he was... I think City was surprised in how Liverpool turned up you know that they, they did sit deep I and mean, everyone was fearful about James Milner right back uh before the game but him and Joe Gomez I mean Gomez shackled Haaland probably more than Van Dyke did um obviously Van Dyke had that that header when he ended up in the back of his own net in the second half but um you know Gomez had a terrible game at, at Napoli a few weeks ago and and but was brilliant in this one obviously played well at right back in the week Milner I mean that man you know, he made his League Cup debut the, the day before the Call of Duty franchise started um, video games. And he like he is a man who responds to the Call of Duty every single time. And we've got this graphic here which shows, you know, where he's he's spent playing time in the Premier League um, since 2008-09. Now, 
you know, for people that are listening rather than watching, he's basically played left wing, left midfield, left back, central midfield, defensive midfield, right wing, right midfield, and right back. Um, obviously, mostly and striker. Sorry, sorry, James. Um, you know, he pretty much play him as a, you know, play him as a ten and a centre half, and then stick him in goal for ten minutes, and, he, and he's got the whole set. So um, yeah, let's, let's hope that happens. But yeah, he was he was great. I mean, he looked absolutely shattered at the end. But you know that that it is a a massive win for Liverpool. You know, they've got a some relatively, you know, on paper, easier game coming up. Um, and they, you know, they can potentially close that gap a bit more. And, um, yeah, I think if we look at XG, open play XG this season in the Premier League, the top four are Man City, Arsenal, Liverpool and Spurs. And that that kind of feels like the four best teams, really. Um, I know Chelsea are improving. And I know that, you know, Manchester United are a work in progress, but but those are the in different ways, they're the four most impressive uh impressive teams, I think, so far. And I think there's I think most people accept that Manchester City, at least on paper, are the best team in the Premier League this season. Um, but we all know that sometimes the best team doesn't win the league. Um, it's about managing games, isn't it? And to have someone like Arsenal top at this stage with a four-point cushion makes it exciting for the season. It had to be that way. You had to have a team out there leading other than City for it to be mm. an exciting race because City wouldn't give it up once they were top at this point. Um, so, yeah, it's going to be really exciting to see how Arsenal handle that pressure now. Well, also with Arsenal is that City rarely have uh, chased down a lead in the Premier League, particularly under Guardiola. They, you know, the, the, the seasons they've won, they've either won it by miles or they've been neck and neck with Liverpool the, the whole way through the run-in. Obviously, the season Liverpool won it in 2019-20, Liverpool went on to, you know, started the season incredibly and built up that massive lead and, and City kind of almost gave up, you know, halfway through that season because it was, it, was, it was too far gone. So, if Arsenal can sort of get, a, obviously, four-point lead at the moment, if they can extend that to six, seven points, you know, that... That's enough of a buffer. I mean, I did a thing last week looking at because Arsenal haven't drawn a game since January, which is you know pretty unusual. But if if they eliminate draws as a concept, which why not? Um, they can, and assuming they win the games, they don't lose. Obviously, they can probably afford to lose four or five games, and if they win every other game, no one will catch them. So that's all they've got to do: just win thirty odd games. Yes, uh, the blueprint. Yeah. Trademark. <laughs> and obviously Arsenal had to deal with some slightly different issues this week on the road at Leeds, a mass delay in the middle of the game, which which could have easily have thrown them off a kilter, but uh, Mikel Arteta was delighted with how his side came through that test. Was, it, was this the biggest test this second half that you Probably, and we expected uh, some very active and chaotic moments, um, the way they play and the atmosphere that is produced in, in this stadium. And uh, really pleased that we managed to to handle it with making some good decisions, sometimes with a bit of luck, with some great saves from Aaron. I think Aaron was outstanding today. Uh, happy to win again. Yeah, and interesting you mentioned Aaron. Uh, I tried to bring him into the show last time round, but we'll bring him in this time. I think it's a good time to have a look at him because, yeah, very impressive performance for Ramsdale in the net against Leeds. Obviously, uh, getting our on-target shots face. This is taking off the penalties and then goals removed, but... Uh, Four on-target shots, say, for an XG not conceded of 1.3. Very impressive performance from a guy who, coming into form, I think, at the right time as we tick down to the World Cup, will give Gareth Southgate probably a very good secondary option if the worst was to happen to Pickford during the World Cup there as well. But, yeah, imp imp impressive for Arsenal. One of those tricky trips that they would like to put in, in, in uh, quote marks from time to time. But 
coming away from it with seemingly not too much of a scare there. That kind of win is what Arsenal needed as well. Like a win where they can prove that they can grind out results against the run of play. I mean, as Arteta said there, they did have a bit of luck as well. Um, but you need that if you're going to win titles sometimes, don't you? So I think that that win will be valuable in uh, the experience of some of those younger players, especially at Arsenal, being able to grind out those results when not everything goes your way. Yeah, I think um, just to add to, to the Ramsdale praise there, I think Arsenal's back four, particularly Gabriel and Saliba, didn't have their, their best game back there. Um, you know, Gabriel, particularly lucky probably to to stay on the pitch, maybe for his sort of slight lash out. Would, would, would be, Saliba obviously gave away the penalty with a handball and they needed Ramsdale to bail them out today. Um, sorry, at, at the weekend. Um, and Leeds were, were, were by far the better team uh, over the course of, of the game. As the XG there, there showed, you know, Leeds... Um, almost 1.9 xG over the course of the game to Arsenal's you know, 0.5. Um, obviously, the penalty is missing there is accounting for for a lot of that. But um, yeah, it's, it's it's always it always feels good to come away from from a game where you probably didn't deserve to get you know much from it with three points and and a clean sheet somehow. So um, yeah, Ramsdale was, was a big part of that. And how big a we... the disallow goal as well? Bamford's disallow goal, which was. Harsh, exactly. in my opinion. Um, that isn't even included on that XG, um, which would have been mm. really much higher as well. How big is it this week for Arsenal and City? Obviously, we've got a full week of Premier League action coming up this midweek that we'll dive into with both City and Arsenal off this week. Like A very good chance to rest some legs here at this moment. Obviously, they've got to play this game well, at some point down the season. But Arsenal have got a Europa League game, haven't they, on Thursday? True. And that's why the City game is postponed, but it's doing them a favour. You kind of think that they don't really want to play City at the moment. You kind of want to build up a bit more of a lead if you can before you play City, have a bit of confidence and hopefully damage cities. Um, and you also kind of want a full week's training ahead of a City game, I'd imagine, rather than two or three days to prepare for that one. So could actually do some uh, some good down the line. I mean, we, we mentioned it on, on, on Friday's show, you know, Arsenal have, have won nine out of the first 10 games. Last four sides to do that. I've gone on to win the Premier League, so um, the omens are are good at the moment for for the red half of London. It's not going bad for the white half of London either. With uh, Tottenham doing pretty well at the moment as well, like another good performance from them. Uh, Antonio Conte uh, equaling Roberto Mancini's record of uh, seven games without conceding a goal as manager. As uh, once again he proved the fawn in Everton side, and uh, yeah, I think I think obviously. Harry Kane. I mean, this is the incredible thing. In any other season, we'd be banging on about Harry Kane here and how yeah. how, how impressive he's been. Obviously, we, there is a robot that's doing a slightly bit better at the moment, but uh, it's again... Well, Kane, Kane closed the gap by one this weekend, didn't he? So, um, I mean, yeah, he's on course to, to beat Salah's record, Kane is, so shows how well he's doing. I mean, he, yeah, he's it was another penalty, which obviously missed one in midweek, um, but this was against Pickford, who's obviously taken quite a lot against as well, but he absolutely lashed it in. I mean, there's very few, I know he has missed a couple recently, but there's very few penalty takers that are as kind of decisive and good as Harry Kane is, which is, uh, you know, a good thing to have. And then Hoiberg scored a second to, to wrap it up, although I don't think Everton were in, in much danger of scoring. Um, and I think Hoiberg's an interesting one because, you know, he, from speaking to Spurs fans, he's the player that's they feel that's improved the most this year. And he obviously put in a delightful assist in the Champions League as well. 
um, for the Sun goal. Um, and he really has kicked on. I think he started okay at Spurs and then sort of, you know, along with a lot of the team, faded a bit. But he's been brilliant this year and his his partnership with Batan Kerz was really good. So, yeah, I mean, Spurs, particularly with City losing, you know, Spurs is a joint second now and they're the, they're the sort of quiet option. They're the, they're the team that probably haven't played as well as Arsenal and City yet. And yet, you know, they've racked up that many points and that is a quite a Conte thing to do, um, you know, in his manager career. He, he loves a kind of a long grind ground out league league championship bid. So um yeah, London and with Chelsea as well winning again under Potter. London yeah. football's in in fine fettle. Chelsea look so much better under Potter. Like really solid side. I think they drew their first game against uh Leipzig was it or Salzburg, I can't remember which was Red Bull team it was in the Champions League, but since then they've won every game under Potter and Mount looks a completely different player. Yeah. I mean, Mason Mount's the sort of player that I think, you know, a manager's come into a, a squad and go, wow, I, I get to use this player. I mean, he's, Potter's used him in so many different ways already. But, you know, Chelsea, I mean, without Kepa, you know, Kepa made 3.4% of all the saves he's ever made in his Premier League career in the first half uh, of, of yesterday's game. Villa Villa were good. You know, they their their finishing wasn't great, but they, they created a lot of good chances. Um, and Chelsea obviously scored early on after a pretty horrendous mistake from, from Tyrone Mings. But didn't do that much else um, other than the, the second goal. Uh, it was, again, a bit like, I guess, Arsenal at Leeds. They, they picked up three points when they, they didn't play brilliantly. And I think that's that's a good sign for them as well. I think, you know, with Liverpool winning as well, the, the top four race suddenly, suddenly looks a lot more, um, you know, difficult. And I think the fact that United, Manchester United and Newcastle United drew on, uh, on Sunday, that's probably two points dropped for both of them if they've got top four ambitions. Well, I was looking just before this over the last 38 games, which we all know is the number of games in the Premier League season. Um, Newcastle yeah. and Man United have won exactly the same number of points over that period, 60 points each. So Newcastle are definitely catching those teams up um, mm. under Howe. And uh, I think that, yeah, United should be worried about European football next season if uh, this continues. But then, I mean, yeah, I mean, but then obviously a very interesting... Uh, test midweek for United and Spurs as they go head to head mm. at Old Trafford. Conte has never won as a manager at Old Trafford in the Premier League, which, like, that's a record he needs to he, he needs to shake off if if you to see this Tottenham team build well, on the foundation they currently have. Well, in the era where pretty much everyone has gone to Old Trafford and ended, you know, every week was like, you know, this team's ended a ninety three year wait for a win at Old Trafford. It, that is surprising. I mean, obviously last season we kind of expected it to happen. And then Ronaldo pops up with, with a hat-trick. Um, not looking very hat-trick worthy at the moment. But, you know, midweek under the lights might help. I don't know. United won the most games on a Wednesday in the Premier League history as well. And had the best win rate on a Wednesday as well. So, you know, perfect timing for it. It's, it's all going to come it's all going to come together. Let's have a look for the first time this week at what our supercomputer's got to say about the midweek games before we dive over to a little bit of a chat about El Clasico. But uh, indeed, supercomputer making Tottenham favourites in that game against Manchester United. 37.9% uh, our super give it chance our supercomputer is giving Tottenham women can winning think, yeah. compared to 33.9%. Close one there. Yeah, I tried to tell the supercomputer about things like Pedro Mendes' goal that went over the line and wasn't given. You know, there's, there's, you can't just base it on, on you know, logic and and code. But it wouldn't listen. So we, we had a slight falling out. But, but yeah, I think, 
United have historically got a great record against Spurs, but if if Tottenham are going to win, Old Trafford, I mean they have done occasionally, but if they're going to win, this is a this is surely a good a good chance to do so. Uh, and at the very top of our predictions this week, Brighton versus Nottingham Forest. Brighton being given a 57.7% chance of winning against the newly anointed crisis club in the Premier League. It's not mm. a third week for Liverpool, uh, which there was probably a chance if they had lost against City. But I think they would have just done enough to pull through on that one. But yeah, it's... it's Are, are Forest yeah. going to be this historically bad team in the league? That's no well, I, I find it quite hard to to decide on the crisis club this weekend, um, just because you know no one had a complete shocker. I think in in the whole Premier League, but Forest, you know, losing to Wolves um, when Wolves have only scored three now four goals, um, and that was a penalty, and then Forest missed a penalty of their own, and it is starting to just be a bit sort of set in gloom now. Now, obviously, their main hope is to not be as bad as their arch rivals Derby were in in oh seven oh eight. They are a point behind Derby, where Derby were at this stage um, in uh, in 2007-08. So, but as I point out in the in the article, a couple of seasons ago, Sheffield United took two points from their first 17 games, and everyone was like, "They're going to be worse than Derby," and they ended up with 23 points. It's, it's almost almost impossible to get 11 points in a 38 game season. Yeah. So, Forest will will get more than that, but you know. They are still in touch with the teams at the bottom at the moment, but they do need to get some points. They've got some really hard games coming up. They've got Liverpool, United, Chelsea all coming up in the next seven games and Arsenal. So Brighton away, which isn't easy, but it's definitely a game they need to kind of target something from. I think the problem with Forest is like everything just feels so chaotic. Like, like there's so many signings come in. It's mm. it's kind of it it's hard for them to gel. Like a lot of Forest fans commenting that they can't even predict begin to predict the starting lineup for the next game, which is surely a never a good thing. Um, it's got a very kind of, I always go back to them, but a very Watford feel about it from last season. Just loads of individual players with kind of no set plan that opponents can kind of pick off quite easily. They're quite fragile. Um, mm. I, I like Forest as a club, so I hope they can fix it. But yeah, it does feel that there's a bit too much chaos there for it to succeed. I mean, that is kind of where the analogy with Derby does work a little bit, is that when Derby got promoted in 06 07 to the Premier League, they, that was a little bit early in their in their planning and they weren't really ready for it. And obviously we, we saw what happened the following season. Now, Forest, you know, this time last year, they were still in the bottom half of the championship. So, you know, and as everyone knows, a lot of their good players last year were on loan. They've had to rebuild or build a, a whole squad over the summer, which is very hard to do. So it, it is a bit unfair and... You know, they might have to do what's known as a as a West Brom or a Norwich where you, you kind of come up, you know, take the relegation, but use the, you know, the increased revenue to then strengthen your team. And I mean, you know, Norwich, oh, they lost, didn't they, to Watford at the weekend, but um, they've made a they've made a sort of modern career of that. I thought we were going to get through of that talking about Watford today, but, you know, mine too, big, they? too big, isn't yeah, Too big. I thought you were going to bring up a picture of Josh Sargent. <laughs> <laughs> I've only got a it's interesting to see uh, we've got Leicester winning again there. Um, feels like Brendan Rodgers is providing the supercomputer with some of his Gucci belts, and uh, he's there. Uh, he's giving giving them an inflated win percentage. Well, they weren't great on Saturday lunchtime against Palace. It was not well, not an all time classic game. Um, <laughs> I did watch it, uh, so thanks for that, lads. But. Um, 
but yeah, I mean, it was a point which took Leicester off, off the bottom. But yeah, they are still... I mean, that's a couple of clean sheets in their last um, two home games. So, you know, if they get one against Leeds... I mean, I'm not convinced about Leeds yet. They're not... You know, had a good start, but it, it's... They've run a lot. Bit. They've run they about run a lot. They're busy. They're busy. That's, yeah. But we saw yesterday in the Liverpool City game that there are some players that can run around a lot and do loads of other stuff. So, you know, that is the dream. I think they've got some... They're, they're a better side than they were last season. They've made some good signings. I know they lost Rafina, but I think overall they've made, like, better signings to replace him. They've almost got two or three players that could play in that kind of role. Plus Bamford's back. I think they'll be all right. I think Brendan Harrison's a really good player. Um yeah, I think that work ethic should get them through as well. I think um, Jesse Marsh has done quite well to replace what is what is a legend at Leeds. Um, it's, that was going to be such a difficult job and actually keeping them up in the end last season feels like that, that change was justified and they should hopefully kick on this season. Like replacing Hodgson at Watford. Yeah, it was always going to be difficult. But we've since replaced his replacement, so... Well... <laughs> On we go. Yeah. Can we just talk about what we will talk about what for quickly? The Slaven Brilich, uh, Bilic shrug at the end of games is is back, and it's so good to see that <laughs> I don't know why he does it, but every time his team wins a game, as he goes to shake the opposition manager's hands, just goes. I don't know why he does it. But he can't stop himself, and it's fascinating, brilliant to watch. It's almost like that's 90 minutes that happened. Let's get on yeah. with our lives now. Yeah. <laughs> oh, well, you lost. <laughs> you lost. We lost. Someone won. Who knows? Obviously, um, Leicester as well, not going to be held this weekend. James Madison already on a suspension in game week 12, so we'll be missing after five yellow cards. For those of you already panicking about your fantasy lineups who might have him in, um, I know that the shorter week is throwing headaches, especially with both City and Arsenal out as well. It's. Uh, if you got your wild cards, but I mean, I don't play. I just know that the, the favourite thing to do at moments on podcasts like this is go, well, if you've got your wild card to hand, maybe it's time to roll the dice on it. But I understand most players have already played their wild cards by now. Yeah, but mm. you just I've, need to worry about I've getting played. Super 6 runs in. <laughs> <laughs> My Super 6, I've missed three game weeks this year of uh, Super 6. Other good predictive games are available from other people as well. Uh, right then, let's dive on in and just very quickly end today's show by looking across at El Clasico. We did quite a lot of great content on the site leading into this one and uh, Robbie Dunn, one of our brilliant new writers, um, dove slightly in on Barcelona and the issues and uh, I think the suggestion is that maybe you should have gone a bit harder on them because it was uh, not pretty in the end against Real, Real Madrid as Real took the 3-1 victory in that one and yeah, could have been worse for Barcelona, it feels, in that game. But on the face of it, they came into this derby in great form. They're top of the league. Oh, well, they were top of the league on goal difference over Real Madrid. Um, they've dropped only two points so far this season. And they only conceded one goal, which has only been bettered once ever in um, uh, La Liga season at that stage. That was Barcelona previously when they not conceded a single goal in the first eight games. And then they lost 3-1 to Real Madrid. Um after that, so history repeated itself. Yeah, I, 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 the comparison I'm going to throw to this one is obviously Manchester City suffered defeat against Liverpool this weekend, um, but the manner of City's defeat, there's, 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 I think there's quite a bit to take away from this one. For Barca, I, it's been a disastrous week. Obviously, like there's Barra putting an owl on the front of a shirt. It's been a it's not been a hit for them. Uh, and I think that the real problem is going to be that 
how do they respond from this? Like, if if Real just keep going, they're running away with the title, and Barca are. What's this season all about? Like, Europa League is coming. Uh, it's kind of oh, second in the league's the best we're going to be able to get from this. Yeah, it's making sure they finish top four and qualifying for the Champions League again next season. I guess is the best case. But I mean, yesterday they had some good chances, mainly towards the end of the game. Um, and we know that <laughs> we know that they've got great attacking players, but their defence so far this season has been it's six and sevens. Even though they've not conceded many goals, they've been saved on many occasions, mm. quite literally by Ter Stegen in goal as well. Um, so it wasn't a vintage Madrid performance, but they they had enough about them, didn't they? To to see see out the win. So I can't see anything other than a Real Madrid title win this season already. I mean. I think that's quite dramatic one. reading of the runes from one game. Yeah, I mean, you know, Barcelona are a work in progress more than more than Real Madrid are. So I think they've got space to improve as the season goes on. And, um, you know, they, they have, as we know, restocked their squad quite considerably. So they do have a fair few options to play with. But you're right that this was a sort of, I, as we said on Friday, actually, I think they're, they're defending in the Champions League has probably been, or the, you know, the 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 numbers they're posting from their defending the Champions League is probably closer to what, how they're playing than than the league was. And, and lo and behold, I mean, Real Madrid are just the ultimate big big game team, aren't they? And it was uh, it was nice to see Benzema score as well ahead of his of his big Monday. I was about to say, I was about to bring up. Uh, I've just spoken not to the supercomputer, but to the supercomputer's Spanish cousin, El Computer Computada. <laughs> I'm trying to remember that off the top of my head there from last time. Uh, Barcelona, 13.8% chance of winning the title. Uh, Real comfortably out in front now, 84.5% chance that the title will go to Real. So, Matt believing it's over. Um, our Spanish cousin, which I'm just going to make sure I get right. Super Computadora is what we're looking for there. Uh, also well, that machine's also predicted last catch-up are going to come back with another number one single. <laughs> so, you know, read into that what you like. <laughs> Uh, and indeed, uh, obviously, tonight is the uh, Ballon d'Or, or as it was once famously called to me, the Balloon Door, someone once called it to me, which is <laughs> renaming of the trophy that shouldn't occur. Um, but yeah, obviously, uh, Benzema, I think I think we're all in agreement, he's going to be walking away with the title tonight. Yeah, kind of I hope so, mate. Because we've, we've written about it. <laughs> <laughs> Matt's put all his eggs in the basket. Yeah, great piece here. Robbie Dunn, again, really turning into well, one of our fantastic Spanish experts, really diving into Benzema's year and uh, and his career so far. And yeah, I think it's, it's it'd be great to see him do it. And it, I mean, I also, I'm also thinking with, with the, my head thinking forward to the World Cup that's coming up in time, like he's going to be very key, I think. Yeah. It's I know that's going to be last. It's going to be his last World Cup as well, isn't it? Age-wise, yeah. you'd imagine. So, um, yeah, that that French team's got a lot of talent, and Benzema's experience is going to be key for them uh, nope. this summer. And I, I don't want to winter. Uh, this winter. I don't want to sound like this person as well, but obviously, French teams can go into World Cups and European tournaments, and disharmony can break out amongst the squad quite easily. Thinking back to previous years, there's a lot of ego there, isn't there? We know the rumours about Mbappe's. Uh, power at PSG as well can like what effect will that have on the national team etc I don't know um, but they've probably overall got the most talented squad and on paper yeah they should win the World Cup again but uh, it's not that easy is it 
No. Are we good on the Ballon d'Or front? It's just going to be good to have someone else winning it, really. Because since 08, it's gone Ronaldo, Messi, 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 Ronaldo, Ronaldo, Messi, Ronaldo, Ronaldo, Modric. Well done, mate. Messi cancelled in 2020, which is still seems a bit harsh because we did play most of the games. And Lewandowski, Lewandowski would have done that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then Messi again last year. So, you know, other than Luka Modric, um, you have to go back to Kaká and my mate in 2007 and my mate Cannavaro in 2006. And famously, in 2005, Ronaldinho won it. And who came second and third? Um, Anyone remember? I'll tell you who. Because people Beckham. don't like pauses. No? Close. It's second place Lamps. Third place Stevie G. There's nothing more really? in 2005 than that. Yeah. Yeah. Ahead. The golden generation. Just a great point on, on Modric there. You, you mentioned in, uh, Duncan in passing. I mean, very interestingly, at the weekend in the Clasico, um, Ancelotti got him to man-mark Busquets for most of the game. Um, and that completely stopped Barcelona being able to play kind of through 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 the lines using Busquets as like their, their pivot back there. Um, so Ancelotti, I think that's maybe, maybe doesn't quite get the kind of credit he deserves for, I don't know, Obviously, he's a great man manager, but also being kind of an in-game tactician, um, pushing mm. on Modric to kind of mark Busquets. Um, combined age of about 70-odd there between the two, the, the, the two of them. Um, but that really kind of stopped Barcelona being able to kind of play through through Busquets. And um, they had most of the ball in, in the game, but couldn't really, you know, create too many clear-cut chances with with it. Um, and much of that was kind of to do with the midfield of, of Madrid, who went quite, yeah, quite man-marky in, 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 in the game. Man Markey. I'll uh, I like that one. Good. <laughs> but that is but that is I think Madrid are are pragmatists. You saw it in the Champions League final against Liverpool, you know, they were they didn't they didn't care that Liverpool essentially battered them. They got the trophy. Um whereas I think Barcelona often are, you know, they 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 hold themselves to a sort of a, an ideal that often can't be, you know, consistently maintained. So um different approaches. But who's to say what's right? Who knows? And while we just have World Cup heads on, obviously, um, potentially huge injury for Diogo Yotta. <clears throat> Bringing it back around to what we said at the start. But he seems, it's seeming like it could be serious. And we've been now hitting that time where players are going to start picking up injuries that do just right, wipe them out of the World Cup. Reese James, gone from England. That's a, that's a huge one there. Yotta, gone from uh, from from there as well. It's... I'm just waiting for Harry Kane now. That's, that's going to happen, isn't it? We all know it. That's right. Even Tony. Well, his, nice his penalty. It's come full circle there, Don, because obviously you, you kind of were tooting Harry Kane's horn on, on his penalty records. Um, and, you know, he's been, he's, he's, you know, one of the, the most prolific takers. What about Ivan Tony? Scored 20 out of 20 penalties in, 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 in his Brentford career. So um, if Kane goes down, we need a counter taker. Tony could be the man. So when I was a kid, that I always you could you couldn't ever really see it because I think it was before even Channel Four showed Serie A. But there was all these. It's before even Channel Four when you were a kid, wasn't it? Ah, that's a bit harsh. Isn't it? It's a bit harsh. At least I can receive Channel Four where I live. Um, <laughs> but there were all these rumours that Marco van Basten took penalties in that way that that Tony does in in the sense of not looking at the ball and waiting for the keeper to commit and then just and assuming it. And I I couldn't really couldn't believe it it sounded so outlandish and risky but you know it's pretty commonplace now so it's um and there's that high definition 
shots of him doing it. So, yeah, I, I enjoy it. It takes extreme confidence to be able to take a penalty that way, doesn't yeah. it? You've never missed a penalty, right, Matt? Well, it, a lower, probably a lower level than the Premier League. Um, yeah, it I wasn't even the Hitchin Sunday. Probably league, doing a lot of work there. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but I could beat some. What of was your technique? To take them to take them um, hard and low every time, mate. We were so near a thing. <laughs> no, I was a uh, Troy Deeney, mate. Just hit it as hard as you can, and hope mm. he never misses. Never miss one. Just hits it so hard, the keeper. Even if he gets a hand on it, it still goes in. I, I can't talk about my pen. I tried famously in our um, local, in Woodley's Carnivals, as it was known, five-side tournament. <laughs> Remember the era where Jimmy Floyd Hasbank was doing the hop, skip, and the jump before the penalty? Famously did that and blazed it over the bar and lost the penalty shootout. So, uh, yeah, can't talk about my own penalty-taking record. Even worse, penalty stopping. Ch- shouldn't have gone around penalties, really. I think that's... Your carnival penalty record. Carnival. <laughs> <laughs> if anybody who's ever been to the carnival, it's anything but a carnival. Uh, it's fair to say. Right then, uh, before we descend into more madness, I think that's it for this week. Thanks everybody watching us on our Twitch, YouTube and Twitter channels. Really much appreciate all of you who've done that. And for those of you listening on the podcast as well, make sure you either catch us live or you get us on the catch-up, which is available from all good podcast providers and some shoddy ones as well. But until later in the week, on behalf of Duncan, Matt, Ollie and myself, thanks very much for watching. Enjoy yourself and we'll see you all soon. Bye-bye.